at the end of the day, there was no conservative law game on Roe and the courts. It's just that Anthony Kennedy, as one individual human being, chose to do a strategically timed retirement and Ruth Bader Ginsburg did not. The political system was made up of lots of individuals who constantly faced choices between self-gratification and strategic goal advancement. And while sometimes self-gratification is cheap, at other times it's very costly. Uh... None of your food can touch on the plate. Nothing has anything to do with anything else. It's all just, oh, these are just random events. Like, I can't explain it. No, this is just, oh. It- <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you if you cover your face in front of Matt Iglesias and do peekaboo, he'll be like, where'd you go? <laughs> Come back. <laughs> no it's definitely been the long game man like it's been the long game for a while like oh no to say you're wrong see what what really is this you know you know all that stuff like you know like you read a bunch of like like uh marks right yeah and like material analysis and uh like that's not true actually (laughs) yeah horseshit it's all it's all nonsense but now let me tell you the real the real like the real structure of politics let yeah. me let me give you the lowdown. <laughs> the lowdown. It's all about individual human beings making choices. That's right. That's right. Based on rational self-interest. Just so happened that after the court decision went through, a bunch of states just like banned abortion right out. And you know, that just happened kind of as a trickle-down effect of of the court, right? You know, there was there's no individual choices, individual individual. human beings. Wow. Matt Iglesias is hilarious. I I was uh in a a more embarrassing time of my life, a, a weeds listener. And you know, it's really weird because like, yeah. He does when at least at least when when I was young enough that I didn't quite know what he was talking about. He gave off the vibe of being a guy that knew what he was talking about in regards to policy things. Like he really knew the ins and outs and stuff. But I think he's a good example of like poli sci brain, where like what you really know is like the ins and outs of the of a specific policy, but you don't have any like broader philosophical understanding of the world. And so it's just very like. <laughs> like mechanical almost well right yeah yeah i mean it's that uh fracturing separation yeah (laughs) Um, yeah nothing nothing has anything to do like true understanding comes when you just when you cut it off from everything else yeah and you just consider it in in a sort of like idealized state uh You know, it's, um, right, a reflexive denial of material conditions, the existence of politics or ideological yeah. or religious commitments. Yeah, uh, it can only be, it, it can only be the thing itself. And that is the ultimate reality of this policy or this court decision. Right. The um, political system is made up of lots of individuals who make, who constantly face choices between self gratification and strategic goal advancement. I don't see what's so hard about that. <laughs> Because, like, in a way, it does explain it. Like, what is what encompasses strategic what goal what you know? what does that mean? This is a minute. You know what could what what could what could possibly go into an individual's decision for strategic goal advancement? You know. You know? Like, okay. All right. All right. Let's let's take for the benefit of the argument. Let's take what Matt is saying here, not the result of a a chicken breast attempting to fire a synapse. Let's take that. That's not what that is. <laughs> For the sake of the argument, I'm going to take it that this is something that a genuine human being and not a sentient dinner plate made. Yeah. <laughs> this, pro- this system of 
Uh-huh. Th- this is how politics work in 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 what I would assume a brain would be if it was there in his head. Yeah, yeah. Is that it is made up of there are individuals. Yep. Lots of individuals. Okay. Make decisions. Make decisions. Matt, why do they make decisions? Yeah. What, what could possibly inform? It's it's all what about could the strategic why they would make those decisions, Matt. Advancements of goals, but goals. See, that's a that's a that's a kind of vague phrase. So we should probably think about like what would guide people's goals that they're making strategic things. And you know, I, I think one thing we all do is uh, eat and you know sleep and meet our basic needs. So what if we kind of based it around our ability to eat food and you know kind of materially survive and then maybe we could kind of assume that that structures have been built off of that kind of relationship with those those productive laboring things and then oh wait a second wait a minute no but instead of that yeah matt iglesias is his brain is like the little chickens from a racer head and then when he tweets it's like when you cut when he cuts into the chicken and it starts spewing goo out um and that's and that's the beginning of the show welcome to Manberg, so uh yeah welcome to mammonburg everybody uh there's only three of us here and we're we're sitting on a on a park bench and i've just uh tossed my uh my yarrow roots to do my I Ching reading uh for the day uh and then uh you know the 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 red skies of mammonburg uh sort of tear away uh to uh the the gray skies of the present usa and and uh not much else changes yeah it's exactly uh, besides. the same <laughs> like it's a slight uh yeah the 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 color in the atmosphere changes slightly we we recognize something alien to this reality but yeah it it is just america in the 21st century uh, i wonder if this could be an analogy for something i wonder yeah. i wonder yeah we can't do any satire bits in the beginning of the episode anymore because mammonberg is the united states of america <laughs> that's the big reveal everybody that's the joke right? that's the joke How many episodes joke? have we finally realized this you know uh so i so it's 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 kind of funny i've um uh i've actually been doing like a daily I Ching uh hexagram yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, the one for Friday was Poe splitting. Um, so it's like the, there's, there's one solid line and it's all dashed lines under it. And, and the, the hexagram reads something like, you know, the, the, the heavy mountain upon soft earth, just like crushes it you know that is kind of the idea and then there was like a little analysis i just do like a like a, a really bad online one it's just eching online.net yeah, yeah. or whatever uh but it was that and like the the last line of like the situation analysis was you will be blindsided uh and i mean yesterday was just uh <laughs> I, I think on a a national and personal level like i I'm not trying to make this about me, but I, I'm just trying to relate my experience of yeah, yeah. of yesterday, and and it, it kind of um, yeah yeah. I mean, in my personal life, it manifested in uh, my my dog eating half uh, an economy sized jar of peanut butter 
and uh, <laughs> leaving a knife on the floor because uh, she throughout throughout the various phases of the pandemic has not had to be on her own many days out of the week and tends to freak out uh oh, so God. <laughs> uh asia got home before me yesterday and just uh stumbled upon a a, a scene of of chaos and danger uh with you the, know your dog yeah. had a great time though that was yeah. that probably was an awesome like yeah. like that was an awesome <laughs> fight you know i yeah i uh i i am sure like the uh the the peanut butter kept her uh occupied and, and soothed for many hours yesterday <laughs> um yeah I imagine so that's how the, many people feel just yeah, eating half, um, half a jar of peanut butter um but yeah so asia came home feeling that she had uh you know lost some fundamental rights in this country and mm. to <laughs> a dog having laid waste to the apartment <laughs> um so <laughs> uh you know and then uh right and i i had um what what had sort of happened was uh we both take we were both on the same train home we both work downtown in various capacities downtown chicago living the high life um not really uh <laughs> got back on the same train but i felt like walking the mile home then than taking the bus so i stopped to get be- so i i came into this like thinking oh we're just gonna like drink and soothe each other through a very weird day and it was just chaos so um yeah i don't know a lot of a lot of bad shit happening in the united shit. states of america <laughs> really and, bad. Uh, it's a really bad time real quick uh just so we can uh, uh move forward here i am josiah uh joined today by uh josh here uh yep and uh and jack yeah uh and jack. it's me jo- oh god damn it sorry i am messing up the <laughs> no you're good no you're good <laughs> you're i just want to make good. sure people know our voices that's all oh who we right. are yeah yeah who we are that's uh, all yeah professional exactly. podcasting professional mm. podcasting everybody um so yeah, you know, some some big things are happening. Um, big things are happening in the world today. Uh, one of the things that's a sign that though things aren't that bad, you know, things can get better, is that Biden has decided to you know fight these these rising <laughs> gas prices. Things are gonna get better, guys. Um, he is going to cut taxes on oil companies for the next three months to lower gas prices. Nothing um, but respect for my president. My you know, president. you know, it's uh it's basically that scene from the master where Amy Adams uh jerks off Philip Seymour Hoffman <laughs> into the sink, like uh except it's 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 Biden and the oil companies. <laughs> I, I like how despite the fact that we don't have Phil for this episode, uh we still got got in one. We got in one. We got a yeah, got a jacking <laughs> off joke in here without uh, uh happy uh, to help, I I guess. <laughs> So I met a man tonight who is en route from New Hampshire to Arizona, and he said that every time he stops for gas, he sees one of these stickers. Different variations, all with the same theme. This one has former President Trump pointing to the price with the caption, Biden did that. We sell gas to uh, both Republicans and Democrats, and uh, we prefer again that the gas pumps stay free of any kind of political message. It usually takes a, a razor blade and a scraper to get them off. No, so uh, yeah, we got we got uh, a heavyish episode. I think we're gonna still kind of keep it a little light if we can. Um, I will say, um, I don't, there's, I mean, based on what, yeah, I, I mean, there's sort of like there is the darkly humorous aspect to a lot of this, especially yeah. in like the liberal response. I mean, well, that's more infuriating than not. Um, yeah, 
But I, I mean, it's it's safe to say all of us have feelings that we do not want evidence of. <laughs> yeah, uh, there there are many many things that so, I would like uh, to say that I will say when we are not recording. Yeah, you know, so I, I think there is a potential for dark humor and a sort of surrealist projections yeah. of, of our collective rage. Well, and at you this know, point. I, and if you are worried about listening to three uh, three guys talk about you know non uterus havers discussing. Uh, uh, abortion i don't think we're gonna get too deep into it we have a previous episode when this news first leaked where we talked a lot more about abortion mm. however um so it's like, at this point it's just more this you know this episode it's the like first we, half of this episode is about how the supreme court sucks that's what we're getting into we're five to four now we're five to four i i think a good way to frame this episode is kind of defining like the axis of evil in this country <laughs> yeah 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 uh to to borrow a phrase <laughs> um, that's from from friend of the show uh George this is why uh this is why, david yeah, from friend of the show that's david a from Trump. original everybody this, this is why josh and i are on we need two straight white former evangelicals because that's the enemy well you know yeah I mean? we grew, we grew up in the enemy camp <laughs> yeah we know we know the ins and we know outs. how the enemy's mind works that's right um that's why you should listen to I, us i'm practically uh, james dobson's son so, right? so for i'm gonna say what i think the average evangelical uh-huh. white straight christian evangelical brain looks like and let me know if like it's this is not a correct sort of yeah, visualization yeah for like how the thought process goes uh it's rush limbaugh with a shotgun uh standing on top of a standing on top of a ladder angrily uh shouting slurs at various uh peoples that he doesn't know about you know that is what it is now it's gotten unhinged you know okay wait you know i'll, I'll say this that's what it was internally for a long time it was they, they right, did, it was they like select like a a black member of a of like a state legislature and then send her a picture of a of a clan rally saying you know your place they didn't do yeah. that uh not the people in my community but that sounds like us yeah uh yeah. <laughs> that happened too in response well, to this yeah I mean, yeah, growing up in the in the 90s and the, I mean, yeah, maybe, uh, yeah, growing up in the 90s and, and kind of uh, the 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 compassion, the brief compassionate conservative phase into yeah, the, yeah. and you know, because so 9-11 is really the hinge point for for saying the quiet part loud. Like, it, it yeah. that's when it started. That's when uh, it it overcame ego. Yeah. To, to some extent. Like, because I think the flavor of the 90s and especially compassionate conservatism was, well, we all really know what the world's really like, but this is how we, mm-hmm. uh, this is the face we have to put on for liberal institutions. Yeah. And it really kind of depends, like, who you and, like. The, the, the right has fallen into line in a way that they weren't as much. Yeah. We forget about that in the last few decades. Uh, a podcast I, I highly recommend that I've been listening to a lot lately is The Worst of All Possible Worlds, which is is awesome. Uh, they've been doing this series that kind of started as a joke, but there's a lot of good shit in it, where they've been listening through Adventures in Odyssey episodes, <laughs> um, which if you grow up evangelical, uh, you'll yeah, be probably have, pretty familiar with that. Yeah, I have listened <laughs> to a few of those cassettes. <laughs> yes, yes. Um and you know, if you haven't heard of it, give it a listen, and you'll be you'll be mind blown. But um, one thing they they really notice is like, yeah, there is a lot of this nefarious stuff going on at the time as well. 
like that that's out in the open now it was there then but they always had this facade of niceness adventures and odyssey just tried to beat you over the head with nice christianness and it was actually a tension between like dobson and rush limbaugh in like tone yeah. at the time you know it was like how you communicate these ideas even though they both did agree fundamentally now rush the rush limbaugh wing won in how in how the rhetoric goes partially because it fucking works as we've seen it really works and focus on the family eventually abdicated to the the dobson or to the rush limbaugh wing you know what i mean like now yeah now dobson himself is like a raging paranoid at wokeness and groomers and blah yeah. blah blah blah. you know he's he's dived right into the brain worms but because getting people angry it works it works yeah. really well Right. It is, it is that it, it really is that sort to get a little, you know, uh, psychoanalytic about it. Yeah. <laughs> right. It, it is really that it in ego. And I mean, I mean, that's a uh, God. Yeah. I mean, not to, do I want to talk about my dad at all? But like, you know, he, he, <laughs> he's, he's a wonderful human being. Uh, who, <laughs> um, but I mean, he, you know, uh, not, uh, you know, went to an evangelical church, very, you know, very, nice and compassionate but fox news and rush limbaugh were on in the house growing up like they they really (laughs) did break because like my my childhood i i grew up in like the middle ground between focus on the family niceness overlaying reactionary thought and then like rush limbaugh i've had like a little bit of both kind of fighting it out in my childhood um which is i think more common for like you're more of a 90s kid josh and i'm more of a 2000s kid um that's i think really common among the 2000s because i think like you said, 9-11 is when the merging of those two rhetorical yeah. strategies started to, like, begin. And then well, I think yeah, the, there was the... there was like a really definable there was a clear yeah. enemy. There was like that. Exactly. And, and that yeah. narrative of like civilizational struggle that, mm-hmm. you know, united, uh, you know, those two sides. But in the 90s, it was pure, pure culture war. It was just like, you know, a disdain for for liberals. Mostly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and freaking out about video games, some would do, you know, yep, depending. Yep. But, a lot, right, yeah, just cultural panics, like what, you know, the focus yeah. was like, right, before 9-11, it was more like what, you know, look at what this sadistic culture is doing to the youths. Like it was, the main mm-hmm. concern was more uh, Columbine, school shootings. Yeah. For that brief window between like 97 and, and 9-11, 2001. As like now, it was, we're, we're kind of having a return to the 90s, but with the vitriol of the 60s is almost kind of like how it feels. It's great. Um, it's yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What if the stupid freakouts from the 90s turned into like bloodshed? That'd be crazy, right? Right. Yeah. Actual armed struggle. Yeah. Right. I mean, I... I guess we didn't, you know, think about talking about this, but like, I, I've thought a lot, I haven't read too much about it, but just, you know, getting impressions of like Keel, Wisconsin, and there's been like a terrorism campaign against like the school board over yes. title nine issues. Like, <laughs> yeah, this, this shit's crazy. And it's like, yeah, it, it, this has been here. This has been in conservative conservatism since the beginning. Like when I'm talking about the niceness of Dobson or whatever, don't take that as me saying that they weren't as reactionary as they right. are. It was, it was always been a, this way. Right. But it was the, a uh, veneer or a rhetorical approach. It was the nice, never like, true feelings. Yeah. Yeah. The focus on the family approach was always trying to be kind of like, you see the shrill liberals. They're the ones always screaming, but we, we are calm and rational. We get what's going on. And like Prager, you, I think kind of follows that like, 
way of approaching shit now but yeah like uh, anyway um all that to say it's it's a crazy time we're living in and there was a long long battle of decades of decades of trying to fight the courts trying to take over the courts because the courts were the big bad guys they were the activists that they gave us roe v wade they gave us they, they won't say this part but you know interracial marriage and uh, yeah and then desegregation this is something this is something that i see a lot of th- I see a lot of liberals that don't understand this, and also a lot of uh, I, I I'm going to alienate a part of the audience. A lot of pro-life uh, Catholics online seem to really not understand where the pro-life movement in the United States started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, at least, like the mainstream one. I will give the you know, Catholics have been on that issue for a very long time. However, yeah. the way in this country, like how the pro-life movement as it started. How it really started was when a lot of, uh, for Protestants uniting with Catholics over it, it started because they were angry that they lost the fight on segregation. Well, yeah, yep. and school, the, the, school integration, yeah. Yep. The process of the, the, yeah. the Catholics and evangelicals kind of cre- having an alliance over this issue was really complicated because the Catholics, you know, I, not to defend pro-life Catholics, but the pro-life Catholic impulse came from the language of uh, the language of civil rights and stuff. That was like kind of what they used to get. There. And I'm not saying, to I, be I, I'm clear, not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that those are that it's the same or throwing no, because but, I, to be clear, that's not what I'm saying here. But what I what I am I'm, I'm I think I'm agreeing with you here is at some point, man, when you're making alliances with the racists, you got to think about whether you're maybe complicit in like what's happening you know what i mean because like the evangelicals make up the majority of this shit you know yes like like abortion used to be a catholic issue before like roe really and at that time the catholics were yes coming to that conclusion using like uh civil rights language and democratic language and you know la di da di da but like you know it's so clear that that's not how people are coming to this conclusion in the last few decades you know, this it's is abundantly that clear. Is like, That's like you you have to be blind not to see that. Yeah, it's very clear. And, and okay, so let's get into it. let's get into the court. So the evangelicals in, in general, you know, the childhood that, that Josh and I had, right, was the courts were the big bad guys because they gave yeah. us all this this liberal bullshit. And then now we're going to, you know, for a long time, this has been regardless of what Matt Iglesias says. Um, a long project to reclaim the courts and they did it they pulled it off i mean that was that was the conservative argument for voting for trump even if you didn't like him rhetorically that's what the never trumpers said is they're like we might get roe overturned and they did as of yesterday yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean and and i mean the right the the sweet sweet irony of it being under uh democratic control of all three branches of government (laughs) blowing my mind um or the yeah or uh both parts of the legislature and executive but yeah they don't they don't have uh they don't have have actually they i don't think they have a majority in the senate though anymore they have a slight it's a very slight majority of the senate yeah very very um it's 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 very tight this this uh oh man these these midterms are gonna be brutal yeah Um, yeah Um, anyway yeah, so, prim- yeah, primary in Illinois um, next Tuesday. <laughs> what, what I was, yeah, what I was gonna say is like, okay, let. So we want to. I want to get into some of the other court cases because I think there's gonna be a lot of ink, you know, spilled about Roe, and yeah, you know, yeah. there's gonna be way more qualified people talking about exactly. That. We this is it's not <laughs> Roe is not directly about any of our rights. So yeah, know, like I think we we I think yeah. our sympathies are pretty clear, but we we have no yes. 
insight into the actual mechanics of what's happening. But there were a few other decisions that came through, and this is part of the same court. And so this is what I'm trying to talk about when I'm saying, like, the alliances you're making are going against civil rights, even if you have a civil rights, like... Uh, to the the Catholics, to the pro-life Catholics listening, right? The alliances that you're making in this process, like, you know, they come with baggage and you can say you don't support it, but it's part of the package in the U.S., the way U.S. politics is lined up. If you say you don't support it and you still go along with it and you still think that no, like, now's the time where we get to work. Now is the time that we start building our fantasized integralist, <laughs> integralist like, epic yeah. based trad uh, social safety net. You are now rude. They, got you. they got you. They got you hook, line, and sinker, buddy. Oh my god, yeah. That was always that was always the fucking line about it. it was like, well, once Rose overturned, like then then the church can really build out its charitable capacity. You know, uh, charity and welfare, that's always been the the responsibility no. of the church no. but then like, yeah, yeah no 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 yeah yeah growing yeah. up in it it's Should like realizing that? how little they cared about like yeah. the actual hungry people in my community you know like, yeah idea about that something this is a, something i want to test you around to see like if this is like something crazy or not shouldn't you do that before you make it illegal that's what my thought is is like you know again i don't think it should be illegal in the first place but right. if you're gonna do that like would you it's kind of weird to try to throw up the safety net after you shove someone off a cliff, which I think I said that on the last episode, but it's still like, anyway, but there's other stuff that comes with the package. So I want to really quickly talk about some of these other uh, Supreme Court decisions yeah. that have come through. One is Carson v. Mackin, McKin, I'm probably not pronouncing that right, which is, uh, and th- this conversation is going to return later in the episode, um, but which is uh allowing public funding to go to private religious schools mm-hmm. and so this is another step forward right now you know I, I understand some people might not see how bad that can be but this goes back to brown v board shit this goes yeah. back to you know trying to create separate schools to keep people away from yeah. you know undesirable people and so at that time it was generally black people now i mean there's still the racial component but now it's specifically trying to deal with this whole gender stuff that people are freaking out about it's trying to well i want to go to create a school where my kid doesn't get exposed to gay kids because those gay kids will either get shoved out or you know bullied to death right we've got that case and then we've got uh viga v Teco again i'm mispronouncing these but uh, which is a, a major step toward overruling the miranda rights Mm, Uh, Miranda v. Arizona, which is terrifying. And also, this this shows how much of a long game, regardless of what Matt Iglesias says, a lot of this stuff has been, because this is a grievance William fucking Buckley had. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is is old uh, conservatism. Resident guy who is absolutely in hell. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, yeah, he's in hell getting stabbed to death by that uh, that guy that he fought to get out of prison who someone. <laughs> right. <laughs> Blanking on his name. You know what I mean. Yeah, um, I, I read that article. <laughs> it's wild. He's right um, next to, to Milton Freeman being beaten to death by, by thousands of Iraqis. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, we oh, also yeah. see on a state level, the Minnesota Supreme Court is pushing through forcing Minneapolis to hire more police. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And then this isn't court related, but the the California constitutional amendment to ban involuntary servitude has failed in their Senate. Yeah, so, maybe. <laughs> we, we, I, we, no, we need we need that free labor. We need yeah. it. And there's <laughs> definitely even more cases than just this shit. But this is like, let's show you, over the last week, a bunch of shit just happened. And also, you are forgetting uh, <laughs> a key one that's affecting the state in which I live in right now. Oh, yeah, what's that? The gun one. Oh, oh that's right. What, yeah. was the, what was the gun one? <laughs> uh, this All of this was happening like basically back to back to back. But this was huge news when it was announced, like, the day before yesterday. <laughs> like, it was within, this was happening, like, within days. So, of course, the um, the House Negro himself, uh, the man who will, I'm sure, uh, completely, like, just vote to enslave himself to own the limbs, Clarence Thomas, uh, wrote for the majority uh, that the Constitution predicts an individual's right to carry a handgun for self-defense outside of the home. Uh in dissent, joined by uh, Justice uh, Stephen Breyer, uh, focus on the toll on gun violence, specifically, you know, the mass shootings that we've had within, you know, the last couple of weeks. Um, hmm. All hundred of them, they just keep happening. Specifically, <sighs> this is aiming at a New York law that was prohibiting, I think that it was prohibiting, uh, like, a not open carrying. Um, it's an old law. It's like a hundred something year old law. And that like got it, overturned. It kind of like yeah. it, it chipped away at like a licensing requirement for concealed carry, yeah. didn't it? Is kind it of did, the effect yeah. of it. And like, I mean, New York has right had an official effective gun ban for a very long time. Yeah, if I'm not mis- mistaken. Yeah, no, like a long, long time. Like it's a hundred and something year old law. Um, which is you know not to say that you know laws are good in of itself of themselves, but right. you see what I mean. And that this is not something that's new. This has been like the law of the land in in New York for a long time. Yeah. So because of this, uh, this was huge news when it was announced. Because wait, what? Like you can just like carry like carry guns now legally? Now, of course, uh, in er, er, the other uh, resident uh, Uncle Tom, but for the police this time, Eric Adams. <laughs> he, um, my my mayor, unfortunately, um, he and his uh, his his uh, his resident uh, friendos of the uh, in the NYPD said, "No, no, 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 no. All right, just because this happened doesn't. If you still, we're still gonna arrest you." So again, this also shows that you can kind of ignore the Supreme Court. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> this is uh, this is something I've been thinking about too. Yeah, Josh and I were talking about this off mic uh, before you hopped on. So what's incredibly frustrating is the li- like the liberal impotence in regard to all these like changes that are happening right now, right? And it's interesting because I don't think that like this impotence is even inherent to the liberal tradition because you have like 19th century liberal like quote unquote liberalism, um, like like uh, like Andrew Andrew Jackson who is a piece of shit, of course, to be clear. But he he was at least an espoused as a demo, you know, espoused democratic liberalism kind of like notions, right? And he ignored the courts repeatedly. You can do that. You can do that in this country. You can because the courts don't have an enforcement branch that has any real power. So if you if you want to like if, if if Biden really gave a shit. And if, you know, Congress really gave a shit, they'd make an executive order that goes against the Supreme Court decision on Roe or any of these things and go, enforce it, buddy. Enforce yeah. it. All right. You, you, it. Find, you find that we can't make us not do it. Yeah. Because they don't have to have the ability to do that. 
like 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 uh yeah the supreme court doesn't have that kind of power but we uh, we've allowed them to have that kind of power you know we and, could just say no no you don't and we're not going to listen to you anymore part of that is i think i will say the le- left and liberal uh the, one of the biggest left and liberal failures was assuming that the supreme court was the best way to approach civil rights i i think that that was this is showing the effects of that because, you know, we didn't build up any sort of legislation to make this stuff tenable in the same way. You know what I mean? Like it, it's and so the it takes one Supreme Court decision with the right lineup. It just had to be a long couple decades battle to get the right people in the Supreme Court. And then once they did, they can fucking do whatever they want without impunity. And they they don't you get any consequences from it. They're never going to get voted out. They're never going to get, you know, it's a lifetime appointment. And so like, I, I think it was a failure uh, on behalf of a lot of activists to focus on the judicial branch. Now I, I understand on the other hand that like, it was hard to get the shit through Congress anyway, or, you know, it, it was, it was always going to be a challenge, but I think that we shouldn't have seen stuff like Roe or stuff like, um, I mean, even oh, also, gay, gay marriage or whatever. Yep, which as, is also on the docket for for uh, yeah. for yeah. quote unquote review. Obergfell, right? Yeah, yep. Bergefell, yep. yeah, and and uh, even the Miranda rights, or you know, a lot of these things that are about to get overturned. We and contraception too. We should have yeah. been putting the shit into law. But no, like just, <laughs> oh, no, like it's now just because that we've been going on. I say we. Uh, there, but this is also, I think that there's a particular tendency on the left to just kind of, at, le- uh, at least it was, I don't think it's there anymore, but before there was a fight on, at least on the side of the new left, that if we can like make, we if we have the Supreme Court, then that's how we can win. And that's not how you win. No. And, the, you know, one, one thing that this does prove, if anybody else is willing for the long haul, is that the Supreme Court is a fragile entity. And like the victories that the right are making on this are as fragile as Roe was. And so, yeah, I mean, we can keep fighting this battle long haul, but part of like how the right was able to do this was a very long process of one, like training lawyers, a lot of lawyers, mm-hmm. like they, they, they fought hard to get conservatives with a specific, you know, like originalist kind of interpretation of the law into as many places of power as possible create kind of a a fraternity of people who follow this kind of approach we could do that we could try to do that with the the scary crits right we could do we could try to get the the critical legal theorists you know in 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 positions of power but we're not we're not fighting that you know um i just i'm just i i i don't think anybody is in has been in this for the long haul for a long time. No, it, it seems that there, like a lot of people have taken it for granted, which I get taking it for granted. I mean, I, I, I will admit, I've, I've taken not being, you know, being three-fifths of, as a person for granted. It's, it's unfortunate it's, that you shouldn't. It's really sad that you I, shouldn't. You know, that's, um, that's on me. <laughs> that's, um, that's, um, that's my fault. I should know. I, I should recognize. Well, actually, no, it's in the... It, it's, a, it's, it's an amendment. They could try to get rid of it. But, well, that's this I, I can't ignore that if they get everything else that they want that wouldn't be something that they would think of why don't we why don't we get rid of this you, you guys have been running around too free for a while you know there's I, I i could see them going after uh what is it the 14th amendment that does uh birth yeah 
Right. Yeah. I, I could see them going after the 14th amendment here pretty soon. Actually. Um, they've, they've, they've hated that for a long time. I, they, I they don't have, know. Like this is a lot of people just seem not to know that if you go to their circles, they don't hide what they want. Like they will say it publicly. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. It like, depends on like what level of politeness they're going to say it in, but it's whether are they going to say racial slurs while they say it or not. But yeah. this, but they want the same thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It should also be uh, the that specific uh, gun law is that in New York it allowed, and also other states that had this similar laws to this was California, Hawaii, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and Rhode Island. Um, so they're all affected by this. It uh, the specific law require people to demonstrate a particular need for carrying a gun in order to get a license to carry a gun in a concealed way in public. So you have to like, all right, why do you need a concealed handgun? Right. To the, to, to like to have it in public this now, again, this also kind of shows like, yeah, this happened, but also you could just kind of ignore them. Uh, governor. Um, I always mess up with, with a uh, Hochul um, governor Hochul. Uh, like assembled a special legislative assembly with like all the mayors of the biggest cities in, in the state saying, yeah, we're just going to write a, a, a different law and word it differently. Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's all you have to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really you can, yeah. Again, enforce it, try and enforce it, buddy. Like if, if the quote unquote opposition party, at least what you would assume would be an opposition party, the Democrats who are in control of, of the executive and both houses slim mm-hmm. margin. Yes. But if they had a backbone, they could just say, all right, we'll just like legislate it then and make it law of the land. And if you want to push it, then well enforce it, buddy enforce your like enforce your, your ruling. Good luck with that. Yeah. Um, what you said earlier about like taking this shit for granted, a lot of it made me think of uh, John, John Gans wrote a really good Substack piece this morning um, that there was a chunk from it I, I wanted to read, actually, that I, I think he puts it really better than I think I will um, in regards to this. So uh, I'm going to read this real quick. American liberalism and its vehicle, the Democratic Party, has been organized around the notion that it's hegemonic. Uh, hegemony was contestable in details but not in its fundamental propositions progress was a fait accompli and eventually on all issues conservatives would just have to adjust themselves to it fight rearguard actions or accept the pluralism of compromise this attitude appeared to be conformed by confirmed by reality because of tactical and strategic compromises the right had to adopt from time to time but the core idea was always to slowly drive a stake through the heart of the liberal consensus Establishment liberals grew complacent and a bit smug, believing that their ideals were just American ideals and that conservative counterparts were just partners in government. And so, like, I think I think he nails it on the head, right, is that part of the American liberal consensus over the last couple decades has taken progress for granted, that it's something that's just happening naturally. It's like it's like a Whig history understanding of things. um, I I, I always forget the specific episode, but... uh... It's a uh, it's legal process theory. I mean, this is this is law school orthodoxy that yeah. as long as the machine runs smoothly, it's automatically pointed towards progress. So like the the entire like liberal orthodoxy for the yeah, it's exactly what John's describing yeah. there. It's like they just want as long as they ensure the smooth functioning of government, it will return enough good results in their favor over a long enough period of time to eventually, you know, spit out the ideal liberal society. Yeah. And that's just like, um, so not, they don't even see uh, themselves as like 
actors. They are caretakers for the general direction of American government. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and which which is to say, like the conservative side, they 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 start from different first principles. Like the liberals are convinced this is like mm-hmm. a, an ironclad law of reality. And right, like 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 you were saying, like this was a decades long effort of training up lawyers in a specific school of thought and yeah. disseminating them through the legal machinery. Yeah, like <laughs> it's it's always been going this direction and like you know this this goes back to uh alistair mcintyre's criticism of of liberalism that i think about a lot that it um you know it doesn't liberalism isn't oriented around a capital g good it's oriented around like trying to weigh out different goods and find compromises in a pluralistic way between them which isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world but it can get really ugly because with a lot of liberals the, the the capital G good is the function of the liberal market to choose uh, a good for everybody, right? It doesn't yeah. have a moral good it's aiming toward. And so American liberals don't have a moral vision. And so I, I think about this a lot because I've, I've seen a lot of uh, liberals kind of using their typical talking points where they're like um, – you know, uh, re- re- get get your religion out of out of women's bodies. Get you know, don't don't vote based off your religion. There's we need the separation of church and state or whatever. And I understand why that's the thought process. But for for me, what my thought, what I'm thinking is, well, the problem is right now there is a tension between a a side that has a moral vision. It's a shitty one, but it's a yeah. it's a moral vision. But it is it's it is one. <laughs> and then the other side is just desperately holding on to the ability for somebody to have a moral vision, but not having their own moral right. vision. So it like I, I understand why people are, are saying that stuff, but for, for me it's but, like no, I think people should vote with their conscience and they should vote for the religious views. And those views though, like we should be curating moral and religious views that <laughs> and a vision of like what the society can look like that is in contra like contradicts the the conservative vision yeah we we need that moral language or else we, we right and the entire yeah right yeah. the entire liberal project is saying like well that's unrealistic mm-hmm. that's that you know they're the uh the the right you know turn you know recognizes its base and incorporates its basis mm-hmm. ideas into it the <laughs> the democratic party is all about doing its best to amputate its activist base yeah or disempower its activist base as much as possible <laughs> yeah and like if there was a socialist party and we had more of a parliamentary system with multiple parties the democrats could serve that function but yeah. they don't serve but there isn't that there's no activist wing of the left which is bad, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I was saying there is an activist wing of the left. It's at the, the it's the only wing of the left, right? Like the actual. Well, yeah, like, that's, yeah, I guess yeah. what, what I mean is there's left. um what I mean is there's there's no uh activist in the sense of like within the political structure. Like there's no like there's very few like true leftist or liberal politicians in there pushing for progressive stuff. It's mostly about maintaining the state of things. And like when you're combating fascism, which we are at this point, it's not good enough to just defend institutions. I think we should defend democratic institutions, but you need to have like, you know, this this is Luxembourg, right? You, you don't have socialism without democracy and you don't have democracy without socialism. It's both. Right. 
and we cannot like we we don't have an activist wing that has an an image of like what what the world should look like pushing you know within within any sort of political power it's like the the left the left's entire the actual left as it exists in america yeah yeah it's entire uh and and i'm speaking in generalities because there are like stuff's going on people are doing work at all at all times like and i don't want to undercut there there are people with visions but right within the political structure they don't really have a voice uh and so like all this work is essentially to stanch the bleeding yeah of of an unbearable present of an unbearable direction of uh yeah reality um but yeah yeah that those those actions and voices are not represented in the actual power structure yeah so, to quote, so uh, yeah. to quote the the uh, the immortal Coen Brothers from The Big Lebowski, "Say what you will about the tents of national so- socialism, dude. At least it's an ethos." <laughs> exactly. We don't have a fucking ethos, and so yeah, of we course don't. the national socialists are winning. Of course the Nazis are right. winning. Right. It's a. Uh, <laughs> I mean, right. It's People an easy bear- believe shit. <laughs> right i mean say say okay like i'm, I'm just because this is this is a char- a character a personality type i'm very familiar with is like the frustrated disaffected uneducated white man from bumfuck minnesota like mm-hmm. okay like you're you you get a vague sense that amongst your peers that being a straight white guy isn't very cool or like it, it, yeah, yeah. it like there's a palpable sense that you know you hear from your dad like what the old days used to be and then how you're treated by your peers or like you know what mm-hmm. <laughs> what whatever like i mean this isn't to sympathize but this is this is an experience that people have when they're informed by a lot of this like this is a, yeah, yeah. a reaction and then uh right you look at the media and you just don't see a path for yourself or any anything in the in the world and it's it's you know then somebody comes up and says like okay you have plenty to be a proud of based solely on the color of your skin and the heritage that we have yep. selectively attached that to. Yep, yep. Um and here's our vision for the future where everybody you hate, everybody you feel like has slighted you or prevented you from achieving the greatness you are achieving your destiny basically cuz mm-hmm. we all get we all get the hero's journey uh template stuck in our fucking cerebellum at at age three or whatever as white men um (laughs) right you're supposed to develop your special talent and achieve your ultimate destiny and along the way you you know you pick up your weapon and your and your the great love of your life and however many sexual conquests on the way uh and then and then you change the world Yep. And every white man gets to do that or prove every, yourself better every, than your peers. Every white man in America is, is uh, on the, the taxi driver journey. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's a hard, it's just like, you have no idea how horrifying what you just said. Is. Oh God. No, I mean, yeah. Watch actually sit down and watch taxi driver. Like tr- the, like the, uh, you know, Scorsese and Schrader, like, you know, they went through, mm-hmm. uh, I think they both were divorced before while they were coming. Like Schrader was living in his car in LA writing that script. <laughs> they they, ta- they really did tap into something. I know it's like one of those movies that has a lot of debate anymore, but like that, that movie tapped into something yeah. that is even more prescient now. And like I, that... you know, not to, not to detour it too much, but I, I think you, you're about to start it, Josh. I just finished um, Emmanuel Carrera. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, his biography of Edward Limonov. 
right um, yeah the yeah. the Nazpol founder and uh, this is what that's about this is like how that happened in russia it is absolutely this like desire for the hero's journey in yeah. a world that is changing rapidly um yeah this is this is where this this all goes um <laughs> Sorry, uh, guys. Let's not talk about the Supreme Court no. anymore. Um, they suck. They That's all you need to know. It's terrible. Bunch of, bunch of assholes, if you ask me. Niles. Fuck me. I mean, say what you want about the tenets of National Socialism, dude. At least it's an ethos. Uh, we should probably move on to your... your yeah, list. so the... Art, so... Right. So if, if we're describing an axis of evil, so we're seeing like, okay, the strategy paying off in the courts. Uh, okay. What? So, so we recognize that the stakes are, we're fighting fascism at this point. Yeah. Uh, what does, what does American fascism look like? <laughs> you know, and what institutions does it struggle over? So uh, there were a couple articles I read this week and submitted to, to everybody a couple days ago. Oh yeah. Um, that I didn't are read them, but didn't I, read them I'm okay that's fine to well, talk about. You, well you listen to <laughs> yeah you, you listen to that that interview with uh the guy from calvin though right yes uh, from yes. the worst of all pod- so i listened to that interview but there's a really good huff post article uh it, it has all the same information so you're all set like you did the, okay. the article uh was like okay so the, the two things i want to talk wanted to talk about this week and i, and I think they kind of are uh, a sort of you know, compliment to what's going on in the courts. Um, you know, if we're, if we're trying to describe an, an atmosphere, uh, we're yeah. Huffing, Huffington post article on, uh, kind of what's going on at Calvin university specifically and the Christian reformed church more broadly, which is a small Protestant denomination, mostly concentrated in the upper Midwest. They're huge in West Michigan. Uh, Grand Rapids is, is basically the epicenter of, uh, of, christian reformed institutions um uh so basically what's going on there is a a professor and uh an, another employee of the college uh well th- this is kind of the a professor was pushed out for officiating a a same-sex wedding involving another employee of the university who worked at a affiliated research center and so the fallout of that was uh, the employee got to keep their job at the research center, but the research center sort of officially, unofficially separated from the main Calvin College administration. They kind of made a little carve out to where uh, certain policies and norms of the institution do not apply because Calvin is officially affiliated with the actual Christian Reformed Church organization and has to follow certain doctrines and uh the the sort of take on same-sex relationships and sexuality at at present is basically summed up in love the sinner hate the sin so they affirm same you know uh lgbtq plus identities but they are very cagey about marriage or sexuality from those identities so like ideally it's like it's fine to identify as gay but maybe the ideal for that person in the Christian reformed church is celibacy and not practicing, mm, yeah. uh, which sucks is bullshit <laughs> yeah. in reality. Um, but so, so Calvin university has to abide by this or toe the line. Uh, but what makes this more complicated is Calvin university's identity within uh, 
the CRC. And so this gets complicated because Calvin has always had a tradition of inquiry and being engaged with the culture. And this has enabled them to build an image of being a lot more LGBTQ plus friendly than they actually are. So they do have an affinity group on campus, but they're not actually allowed to do anything. <laughs> it's yeah. essentially a safe space for, for stuff. And there's, uh, I mean, kind of the, and, and this is changing because of this, of this crisis. So the CRC itself is actually voting on a resolution, whether or not they're going to be fully affirming or, at fully disaffirming like this will become a doctrinal issue within the church so so goes that so goes calvin that's still pending but they're trying to figure out what to do uh, in the meantime uh so uh and and, and this kind of connects to the material conditions of that institution because historically uh three quarters of the student body have not necessarily been affiliated with the christian reformed church and 25 percent have been and so that 25 percent is the more conservative leaning like grew up in the institution portion and then you have everybody else who just you know wants a christian liberal arts thing and and calvin itself i mean has has a lot of appeal it's it's a very prestigious institution especially yeah. in west michigan I, uh, I was i was gonna throw in there uh kristen right. dumez dumez uh author of jesus and john wayne she she yeah. uh is professor of history and gender studies at calvin yep um you know so it's Indeed like she is yeah Yep. Yeah, so uh, it's 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 kind of a tense environment because yeah, there is a a I don't know if I want to call it liberal leftist whatever you want to call it wing within this school and yeah a- anyway and yet and they're they're and having it, these like battles over you know whether or yeah. not to even allow gay relationships. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah. So the problem right now that Calvin is facing is like enrollment is down. It's down twenty five percent over some number of of the past years. Uh, so like financially speaking, they have to lean into their, they, it it seems like the, the wins within the administration are they're leaning into their conservative base. Um, and, and, uh, you know, trying to, uh, yeah, it's whether or not they want to continue being affiliated with the Christian reform church or not. And the administration is, I think very much wants to, uh, preserve that relationship and lean into it more than, you know, becoming a more accepting and radical sort of religious liberal arts school. This is um, a, sorry, this is a t- kind of, kind of not on the topic we should be getting into, but just more of a, uh, a church politics nerd kind of thing. Have they considered trying to get affiliated with the RCA rather than the, because the, the RCA, I, I don't think they're affirming, but they are more mainline and more ecumenical is their emphasis. So they might get off their ass hmm. and they're a bigger denomination. So they might have more funding. I, Interesting. Anyway, I, that's yeah, something I, yeah. I thought about because I, I, I was raised in the RCA. So that's, right. I have a little bit. Yeah. Of uh, I mean, a lot of it comes down to just the economics of Grand Rapids. Like the DeVos mm. family is a huge donor to Calvin. Oh, um, gotcha. So there's a lot of, so not only is it the reformed church, there is, a large conservative donor base with a lot of interest in the school Interesting. as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, that, that makes sense. Like, then. I, I, I don't know if I've told this story before. So I, again, not to make this about me, but it explaining my investment <laughs> in this story, I went to Cornerstone university, which is a Baptist, not Baptist, wishy-washy, non-denominational liberal arts school, uh, down East Beltline, uh, <laughs> East Beltline a, Avenue in Grand Rapids. So, like, with a uh, history professor who boiled some sarcophagi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 
the old old heads, old old fans of VLVC will know. Uh, oh wait, 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 wait. Oh my god, dude. So I'm sorry, I know I we need to pause there for a second. <laughs> oh what? shit. Um okay, so I had an undergrad what? history professor who went on okay, was a weird grifter. Like instead of textbooks, he had a collect a set of dvds with pirated software and documents that he sold to all of his students that we were required to purchase for 125 dollars um for a, a 101 level world history course uh and this guy like he was a you know christian archaeologist thought he was like indiana jones for jesus like kind of a bob cornuk egotistical type uh do, like has been on archaeological digs but like is a christian psychopath um so he was there for he was at cornerstone university for a while left went to baylor i'm not sure if he's still affiliated with baylor at all um but he was part of like hobby lobby's um artifact smuggling operation and was involved in defrauding uh oxford's collection of sark of um like papyri uh, all to find like evidence of earlier drafts of the Bible for to put in the Bible Museum in Washington D.C. and as and in in the in so doing, he was taking Egyptian burial masks and boiling them in a solution on his stove to separate out the pa- layers of. Pa- he was destroying artifacts to find like evidence, you know, earlier scraps of papyri with with biblical stuff on it. Um. So- does he know he's an Indiana Jones villain? Like he thinks he's Indiana Jones, but that's the thing that Indiana Jones villains. Right? No, yeah, he's movie. an Indiana Jones villain. Yeah, <laughs> he's the guy that gets hard, like some like yeah. his hubris horribly gets him murdered by the end of the movie. Yeah, this is I, I like imagining Indiana Jones being like, "This belongs on my stove." Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, almost two years ago. No, now, I, I now, mean, look the moment that you said, "Man, who was boiling Barry?" <laughs> <laughs> Literally, in a weird way, jo- Josh and I's podcast friendship really uh, began because he mentioned that story. In the very it all first episode, because this weird how the setting yes, we, we, we were already <laughs> online friends, but then uh, yeah. the first VLVC episode we ever did was on the Hobby Lobby thing, and then Josh was like, "Oh, so I have a relationship with that, right?" And yeah. so we, we like pushed to have him be like the fourth or fifth guest on the show. Yeah, <laughs> but I came on to talk about like Charles Manson because I had just read yeah, uh, yeah. Tom O'Neill's Chaos book, uh, which uh, I mean is like the major catalyst for like. That's shaped the entire direction of my thought. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, sorry to derail that. So a little for the old heads out there. That's... Yeah. Um, but anyway, so like I, I, I went to school down the street from Calvin and there's a lot of like inferiority complex because like my school is is smaller, less prestigious, but has done some very stupid things to court like DeVos money. Mm. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and, and recently they, uh, they hired a president who is like some heritage foundation ghoul who has been like, you know, making an already pretty regressive, but slowly progressing institution has, has, uh, I don't know, un- undone a lot of, uh, inclusion, you know, what meager inclusion and tolerance policies were in mm. place have been, uh, rolled back and have endangered accreditation of that institution. <laughs> um, and I like I uh, I don't want to shit on Cornerstone too much uh, because there are like 
as 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 much as i don't agree with the institution itself like there are good professors that have done like have created uh safe spaces for mm. inquiry and doubt and and skepticism and i i owe a lot to those people <laughs> yeah is that, so is it's that kind where you met dean detloff yeah uh we were both yeah, in yeah. the the philosophy department at cornerstone yeah. and uh i don't so i, I mean another attachment i have to this story is like i i was a, a really philosophically influenced by um institute for christian studies uh dean just mm -hmm. got his phd through them uh up in toronto they they were all calvin undergrads you know they were crc oh, philosophers yeah, okay. um and so they i mean they were the hippie progressive you know pot smoking hippie reformers uh they went mm -hmm. up to toronto and tried to start their own liberal arts college but basically they're a disembodied uh christian reformed philosophy department that is remora like attached to the university of toronto uh <laughs> or like uh in a, a uh, uh i think they're they're officially affiliated with knox college which is affiliated with the university of toronto um so okay. they're in kind of like the in the network of religious schools that are, okay. are affiliated with uft so, so, so a bunch of like calvin dissidents yeah um, basically um, basically tangentially yeah, related and to they, you and the magnificast yeah. yeah and they do maintain a lot of uh of relationship with the the crc and a lot of their donors come from the crc but they are the the sort of smaller gotcha. progressive um like uh jamie smith who is the main philosophy guy at, at calvin mm -hmm. like he he's an ics grad but he he triangulated he he dissents from the more progressive side of the ics thing and I, anyway like yeah, so yeah. so this is all to say like i i do have an investment in this even though i no longer uh claim to be uh confessing yeah. or practicing christian at this point <laughs> like there but there is a a a lot of this shaped my thought and i have a lot of um affection and gratitude towards a lot of uh players and people who are actually affected by this yeah so uh like i mean i have uh, a good friend of mine uh is you know he he works in some capacity for he does some like video work for for the school uh tangentially so i mean like mm -hmm. yeah i mean I'm, I'm just immersed in this and i've had <laughs> some yeah knowledge of it um yeah i i don't really know what my my overall take on it is but i mean this is just a really interesting uh crisis point in the culture war and sort of like uh well you know the more progressive leaning uh christian and broader uh protestant um world. yeah well and it's 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 related to i think like we were talking about earlier the supreme court decisions to start adding public funding yeah. to like yeah. religious schools yeah. or whatever i mean this is kind of a battleground i think we're going to see more and more of on even down to like high school level and stuff yeah because yeah. these you know these midwestern schools or whatever you know it, they're going to have to deal with public funding yeah and and that's going to impact you know aspects of like okay um you know allowing public funding to be sent to a really regressive sh you know school or whatever that has uh really noxious noxious like homophobic policies or whatever it, it's it, yes, it's it's going to be related to all this shit. I think, like, yeah, demographically, these these more conservative looking denominations, they're they're bleed, they're hemorrhaging members. Like, they cannot retain young, uh, younger membership um, mm. as as much. So, I mean, this, <laughs> like, yeah, in in the conservative wing, I mean, it's they're they're trying to enforce their their vision on society. They're trying to. Mm -hmm you know it's all these old uh they're they're trying to stamp out what they feel is is harmful 
in society and it, it turns out they're using old strategies i mean this is mm-hmm. like a lot of these mechanisms are are, <laughs> are the way uh are the way like uh native american genocide was was taken on like you you set up institutions find ways to separate children from wherever and then indoctrinate them in there so i mean they're trying to mm-hmm. set up their they've been setting up uh, a network of alternative institutions but uh now and and the strategy has been to defund the public alternatives mm-hmm. so now you're just feeding everybody <laughs> and now it's to fund the alter the 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 alternatives that's the move yeah it's yeah going they're, they're yeah. about to capture the federal funding apparatus to just make their shit the default dominant shit on the american yeah. landscape like that's yeah. the end game yeah and i mean if you want to yeah, theocracy na- na- that's what it looks native. like <laughs> yeah oh man and the worst the worst theocracy <laughs> yeah <laughs> like it's like the most insane religious perspectives in the u.s yeah. are uh, which, for power <laughs> which, which yeah now we can go into the other article which is jeff charlotte's uh new piece for vanity fair which is you know i think an extract from an upcoming book but uh this this is the guy who wrote two books on the family the national prayer, prayer Be- breakfast like the, mm, yeah, the yeah. netflix yeah, series those, uh, um, those weirdos yeah. Uh, <laughs> so he's been covering like the actual the conspiracy, the conspiracy <laughs> that's actually yeah. going on. Like you know, another avenue, another vector by which power is being built on this side. And it's, I mean, the the family is sort of its own thing, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Jeff Charlotte's new thing is, uh, you know, he's investing investigating sort of the fallout of January sixth and how sort of. Q and the Trump wing have given rise to new fringier religious expression. And uh, I mean, the main, the main thing in this piece is there is now a sort of far right Americanist religious sect that has taken Ashley Babbitt as a mon, uh, as a martyr and compared to her to Crispus Attucks, the first <laughs> casualty in the American revolution, Jeez. you know, so this is, they're trying to frame it as a second American revolution you know, uh, and, and Charlotte's kind of speculating whether or not the, you know, this is something I've talked with Josiah about, like, what if the first shots of the second American civil war have already been fired? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's something to consider. Um, and I, I mean, and this is something I've been kind of like talking about more in private, like, you know, if, if we're trying to analyze anything going forward, like, I think I've had, I've been entertaining, like, what if we are already in the fourth Reich? what if the second American civil war is already happening? And that's, that's sort of an extremist case. I don't want that sure. to be the assumption, but, and I, I think I've kind of refined it into like, okay, it's not definitive, but what, what if the first shot has been fired? And if we're not in the fourth Reich, the infrastructure for the fourth Reich is being built, mm. has been, has largely already yeah. been built. Well, yeah. So uh, again, to, to reference, um, I, I know, I know I referenced the know your enemy universe quite a lot. I've already read a John Gans piece, and now I'm about to reference them again. But uh, they, they had that their appearance on on Jacobin's podcast, The Dig, that was really good recently, and I highly recommend listening through that, where they just kind of talk about the state of right-wing politics right now, uh, which is kind of what we're doing. Um, and God, there's a line from that interview that has haunted me since I listened to it the other day, um, which is they they were they basically said, the right is split right now between whether or not it's time for an American Caesar. And, yeah. you know, the old wing, like like the the National Review classical conservative wing, they're still going to hold on to the institution, right? They're, they're liberals at heart. Yeah. 
but yeah. there is like they want a limited democracy but they still want a democracy, democracy. yeah they yeah. want the you know it's oh it's not a democracy it's a republic as right say. yeah, but yeah. they still <laughs> but they still want some sort of democratic republic right ah mm-hmm. uh, but there is a wing that thinks it's time the the republic has failed and yep. you know like the the curtis you know the curtis yarvin wing is like we we want the executive branch replaced with kind of like a, a capitalist monarchist you know like a uh, a, a CEO right. of a, the country, a CEO of the empire. <laughs> yeah. But you know, and, and most, that's a fringe wing, of course, yeah. but people are wondering whether it's time for the strong man and Donald Trump wasn't that, but he was that, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, for, I think he set the template for it. Yeah. I mean, if, if you want to get weird with it, if you want to see this as a messianic image, among the like American syncretic religion, like you're talking about, you know, Trump was like the John, you know what I mean? He was announcing yeah. the arrival <laughs> of whoever this strong Caesar figure is going to be. Anyway, I don't know if that's going to happen, but that, right. I mean, that which, freaks yeah, me out. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, like that's, yeah, right. This is, if that's the rhetorical line on the right, I mean, yeah, yeah, this is, yeah, it's the axis of evil. Like, what do the worst yeah. actors in America right now, what are they angling for? And if it's a split between, like, a, rep- a repressive democratic republic that's skewed towards, uh, let's face it, w- uh, white male patriarchs and mm-hmm. capitalists uh, versus, like, yeah, yeah, the actual <laughs> dictator, strong man. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, I'm, it, it's, it's trying to find, I'm trying to find the line between just making random assumptions about the future where i'm kind of like running around hysterically with my hair on fire but like i mean you just you have to recognize that there's some shit in the air right now yeah Yeah. there there's some real real shit i mean and and the scary the scary thing is like the supposedly progressive or left wing in power is in complete denial about it complete denial like uh I don't know. I finally got to like succession season three. And I mean, it's just like the, (laughs) like after I I haven't finished it yet, but it's just after like uh, spoilers for succession season three in case anybody, (laughs) you know, I know that show came out. The buzz is over. I can talk about it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh, you know, Roman presenting the, like, you know, talking to that guy in the bathroom and he's like, uh, uh, you know, just skirting around all the Nazi talking points and uh, <laughs> like, you know, there's still that sense of like, well, he doesn't really mean it, you know, and it's just uh, looking at it as like, uh, uh, no, they mean it. <laughs> they, no, mean it. They, they mean it. They're very, they're very sure about the language that they're using. What I, what I guess is frustrating to me right now is I, I think that now is kind of the time for some alarm bells to be going off. And I, I see, like, a lot of leftists are very dismissive of, like, the role January 6th yeah. played. And I don't think we should be dismissive of it. And I, I don't think we should be dismissive of the erosion of democratic institutions that's taking place right now. I think, you know, now is... I think I am past the time for ironic joking about, like, oh, the libs freaking out. I think the libs are on the right track freaking out, but they're weak and impotent. <laughs> well yeah yeah because they'll they'll do a hearing about like well okay here's exactly what happened but uh now we're not going to prosecute anybody 
Yeah, exactly. Like my, my take is not that like, Oh, I, I think that the, the hearings are good. I just think they need to take it a step farther. I need, right. I think they need to fucking put Trump in jail. Yeah. Like, I think they, <laughs> it's pretty, I think they need to be <laughs> reacting to this. Like it was a coup attempt. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if this happened in the seventies, I mean, in lockstep, they, <laughs> Yeah, man. They, uh, I, I feel that. I mean, like, there would at least be. They would at least. There would at least be a sacrifice of some of the low-level actors. They would throw. Yes. They would throw some bones to public opinion, we and had, there would be arrests. Nixon, you know, because like, like, right, like, Nixon's vice president resigned because of tax stuff because he didn't do his tax returns. Yeah. yeah. And we can't even get this. Like, <laughs> I mean, the norms like, are eroded. Have, like, yeah. Like I, I know that we that you know it's very popular on on the left, especially online, to opine uh, like liberal conventions, which it's you know but you should because they're dumb. But for the <laughs> love of God, within please understand, we're still living in them. It's not like oh yeah, that stuff was like way wacky in the past. It's great that we live in this whole new system now, right? No, we're still there. We're like in the middle of it. So maybe maybe we can kind of just think for a moment that. You know what? Yeah, no, I think that, like, if you try to overthrow, like, a government, even if it's a government that I don't particularly like, to install, like, some, to install, like, a nightmare fascist utopia for you, maybe, maybe you should go to jail. Maybe you shouldn't, like, be able to affect politics anymore. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I mean, we well, should make sure that, yeah, no, we're going to, like, you're a dangerous person. We're not going to let you, like, yeah. just run around saying things that are going to get people to it's going to rally people to decide yeah no yeah. we we should we should have a coup we should that, that fascism stuff sounds pretty great guys <laughs> fuck it i'll just come out and say it fascists are kind of cool but not really so is that like a problem the thing i don't have a lot of boundaries saint augustine thomas aquinas schumacher i'll borrow from anyone and you know if Franco or H or Travis Bickle had a good pitch, fuck it. I'm a man for all seasons. Mm-hmm. H. You know, there was a very naughty boy. Fuck! I like this country. Poach some of those TikTok psychos, you know? E-girls with fucking guns and jewel pods. No, we're strictly bone broth and dick pills. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we truly do live in a... In, in a society. Uh, we live in a society. It, it's... I... I don't know. I it's it's yeah. kind of hard to feel. I typically try with a Mammoth Brick episode to like have some kind of hope in, mm-hmm. in something. It's hard to have some hope in stuff yeah. right now. Well, so I I don't, I've I've kind of gone back and forth because like it right at once you're like wow this is fucked up the ground is being set for some pretty terrifying stuff to come down the pipeline and I think it's very I think I mean to maintain sanity you have to like get some perspective mm-hmm. and prepare yourself for like okay like. The ground is shifting, nothing is certain, and there's some very scary possibilities here. But that also means the future is up for grabs. Like, I think we're... Yeah. What we're mourning is the sort of, like, the electoral political path to something. Like, we're we're a couple years out from Bernie failing, from there being some, like, footholds attained at the federal level. Um, but I, it's, it's, it's breaking down, and yeah, it's scary, but it's also an opportunity like the real scary part is like yeah the left is is more fractious and the right has you know some pretty scary people lined up waiting the, for the collapse but uh mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I don't know. Like nothing's nothing's set in the stone in stone at the same time, and none of this is going to be evenly distributed. And I think there's still going to be some places where good stuff happens. Yeah. Um, like yeah. I mean, alongside all this, there is a lot more labor activity. Uh, yeah, that's that, true. That's something yeah, that's to keep true. in mind. Yeah. This is probably the best, like one of the most uh, productive periods in post Reagan labor history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, it's. Uh, you know, something that's been coming up for me and, and Josiah and for me and a lot of things is like, uh, I mean, we were talking about off mic, um, you know, what we need now is imagination. And like, you know, we've had this upsurge in left in left wing stuff, but it's it's been very it's been very much a rediscovery of radical politics in an American context context where we're we're rediscovering like the sort of radical avenues or potential of of an old politics that was cut off that was disempowered uh so it's coming back in but we're trying to figure out okay well what's what vision are we building you know and it's uh yeah it's a time for imagination um and yeah you know like the the mark fisher wing like you know that was but (laughs) he never got to complete his work on it but that the planned final work was acid communism like what Mm -hmm. how do you re-inject uh imagination and envision back into the marxist project yeah and i think that's you know if we we want some sort of thing to kind of wrap up and it's it's i think a thing i think i say a lot on here but more and more it seems that this is the time for imagination like you're like you're saying and you could tell it's the it's the time for imagination because i feel like a lot of differing political traditions have come to that same conclusion because i think of like i think of like uh mark fisher as being kind of the uh the marxian and critical theory kind of you know, conclu- coming to that conclusion, we have Graeber and Wengrow's book, which I think is coming to the same conclusion, Dawn of Everything, coming from the anarchist tradition. Yep. And then we you know, we, were, we were talking about you're reading Brueggemann right now. Yep, I, yep. I read I read Prophetic Imagination a few months back, you know, and he was saying similar stuff in what the 70s when that I'm trying to remember when that book came out. Yeah, first published in like 78, 70, yeah, like mid late 70s. Yeah. And he was saying the same thing then, which in a lot of ways, the 70s was kind of like the hangover after the failures of the 60s. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's a huge theme mm-hmm. in uh, in Mark Fisher's work, too, especially his yeah. music writing, yeah. um, which is very cringe. Actually, no, nobody wants to read his music writing. I like it. But, <laughs> but it's yeah. He's a, yeah. A lot of different traditions. And you know what? We're, we're three. I think we're all even the three of us right here come from different political traditions to some extent or another. We all mm-hmm. have different persuasions. But the, the guiding force here is that like the old ways of doing leftism are purely aesthetic anymore. Like trying to like just be like, oh, we're going to do the USSR in the US. No, you're not fucking going to do that. Now is the time for something new. And I don't know what that new thing is. But now is the time for that imagination and time to picture what does a 21st century leftism look like? Um, you know, for me, I think one of the, the big things is, is a recommit, you know, reaffirming commitment to democracy as a notion and democracy at both in both in support of democracy, but then also like that understanding that socialism doesn't work or that that democracy can't function without socialism and economic equity um i i I think that's important right now um although i feel like a lot of people don't don't have trust in the democratic project anymore um but you know there's other aspects of this i and i i think you know a distrust of the state apparatus is probably necessary at this point um yeah and building communities and that's where the imaginative process happens because imagination isn't something you do alone. 
It's right. something you build together. Yep. Yeah. Uh, kind of, kind of an, a, a sort of funny thought uh, I wanted. I wanted so like everything we've described. So as we're being hopeful, but like a, a good like place to start. Just a funny tweet. I like uh, the really challenging thing about the early 21st century is that the rest of us are being forced to live through the real world consequences of a weird minority's imaginary world. Yeah. Uh, yeah 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 so i mean we're yeah we're seeing that like the the right mm-hmm. white christ you know white evangelicalism is imposing its imaginary it's cons- it's imaginary world on reality yeah. it's freaking uh, out about groomers and shit yeah it's it's a fantasy world yeah yeah and I, I think, of, uh, jordan peterson has uh, apparently joined in on that as well oh good amazing Great. but what if we had a different imaginary? World? Yeah. <laughs> what if? What if we? Ima- what know, if we imagined you know, a better world? What? What uh, if? You know, and, and it's like I mean the the project of like progressivism or le- or leftism is right since we all like just believe in the essential goodness of human beings and the legitimacy or like that everything will just work out like right we lost yeah. that imagination, um, mm-hmm. so and and. I just think like the, you know, it's the template of the daily show. It's like, all we have to do is point out how self-patently ridiculous the other side's imagination is. Yeah. But they're still articulating a vision. Yeah. Even, and you know, and not to get too psychoanalytic, you know, uh, the, the role of fantasy, people know sometimes that the fantasy they're engaging in is a fantasy that doesn't make them not engage in it. I, I truly believe a lot of people are very aware that this groomer thing is fake as shit. I, I have to believe to believe in some rational ability in people's brain that a lot of conservatives know damn well that this is a fantasy they're participating in. You know, and they're choosing to because it's a compelling fantasy. Oh, yeah. It does. <laughs> like, it does. It makes it, it you know. It, it's like wh- whether or not it's true, it's true. Like. No, because though you can present them with the material evidence, like this isn't what it is, but then it's still that, like, no, I know it in my heart. This mm-hmm. is true, and it, um, it's so. But right, you're right. It's a, it's an ability to bypass the the rational mechanism. Yeah, and that's that's. I mean, we're what what what. I mean, dawn of everything, and you know, Graper and Wegro really point to is that like we need to recapture this ability of like conscious fantasy and and play almost in how we organize social structures that the world is open to be organized in infinite ways and we we choose to replicate consciously even the same ways of doing things over and over and over but you know if if now is the time of monsters right then you you know the world is now is the time for this shit right now is the time to be playing with this new world that's struggling to be born this yeah. is why I, I find uh, Bookchin and uh, Abdullah Ajalan compelling because mm-hmm. of, there is a willingness to imagine what if there was like a better world? Like what if there was like a better way of organizing society that was more equitable, that was more fair, that was that realized like the individuality of human beings, but also rejected like individualism that found like that is but emphasizes community. Um, and and pushes like what if there was like a bet imagine a better world and this and why i find rojava so hopeful is that the willingness to try even if there's practical aspects that you can't do uh at the moment but like there's a willingness of like yeah let's try and do this like let's try and like apply this and make the world what we and make and try to make the world better 
that we yeah. have that we believe in something. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that a lot of liberals yeah. just don't get is yeah. like, yeah, you can't well, just oppose. This is why I think the conservatives too have this a lot is that opposition to something is empty. You can't just oppose something. You have to mm-hmm. believe in something. You have to like have, you have to believe that there is like, that there is something better than what you're opposing. Yeah. And I yeah. think despite mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, the three of us are coming from pretty different I would say, like, pretty different, like, left wing traditions of it. We all do believe in things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, we do, like, old, like, yeah, no, like, I have, like, beliefs about what I want the. Like, I've made jokes about, like, yeah, uh, maybe, like, I'll, like, uh, sell out and become, like, a black conservative or something. But no, I'm not, because I do believe yeah. in the things I believe. Jekyll, you're, uh, you're. So you just read uh, *Fear and Loathing* on the campaign trail. Have you read any of yeah. the, um, his his like shorter pieces, or or like his platform for his sheriff campaign in Aspen? No, I <laughs> like, okay. read the, the platform for the sheriff campaign. No, it's it's amazing. Like uh, I'm just I'm like man, because I I think like Hunter S. Thompson was a really big figure in sort of my my conversion from white evangelicalism. I don't know because just he's such mm-hmm. a singular American figure and it's such a different from what i i don't he was really fascinating to me as a teenager as he is to a lot of white male teenagers um <laughs> but uh yeah I, I remember you know kind of reading through some of his is you know sheriff platform and it was just straight up uh i'm gonna com- uh provide a fleet of municipal bicycles i'm gonna tear up all the pavement downtown and sod it like he was he yeah. was artic- he like he was running for sheriff and he's just like I'm going to fucking change everything and make the, make Aspen hospitable to the freaks and the losers and the burnouts. Yeah. You know, like, and like, like Hunter Thompson becomes a cringe figure because he's so easy to stereotype and it's so easy to double down on like the worst aspects of his character. But like, he believed in something. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) like, he believed in a kinder. He did also like, he also was like, I'm reading through, uh, uh, Hell's Angels right now. It's really hard to determine. Like, do you like these guys or do you not? Because the way that you talk about them is, oh, yeah. I, is on one hand very like he sees like the, like this aspect of like the the free outlaw, but also in the other case he's talking about like yeah, a lot of these guys are rapists. Yeah. A lot of these yeah. guys like yeah. are like. And, yeah. uh, but also, like, either trying to, like, subtly make excuses. For, there's a lot that you can critique Hunter S. Thompson for. However, right, yeah. However uh, I do think it would. Yeah. I, I do want to live in the world where he decided he was going to run for governor and what? Yep. Well, <laughs> it, it, as he moved to politics, part of it was, at the end of the day, as much as he is, like, an edgy, druggy piece of shit, like, it'll, you know, he does all sorts of this, you know, and, and defending people he shouldn't. He is also kind of a moralist. And I, and yeah, because that's something the... that came up when he came up against like a, a like this this uh, this black wall supporter, where like there was this piece of like him generally being like, "What are you doing, man?" Yes, exactly. Because like uh, you know, so his sheriff run. Um, I, I remember pulling this back way back in the day. I did a VLVC episode on Hunter S. Right, Thompson, yeah. and I, I remember pulling this clip that I found from his campaign ads. Hunter Thompson is a moralist posing as an immoralist. Nixon is an immoralist disguised as a moralist. And this is you know, what he Salt. says straight up in the ad is that he, you know, Hunter S. Thompson is a moralist disguising himself as an immoralist, while his opponent, the sheriff, is an immoralist disguised as a moralist. I I think that that's, that's something that's really fascinating about Hunter S. Yeah. Thompson is, yeah, he did have a vision. 
you know, and yeah, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I think that was the right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, that is kind of the appeal. There is a moral, a moral vision un, under, yeah. Under like that. The, I like, l- watch, listen to him or like listen or read Hunter S. Thompson talk about Nixon. You will clearly see that he has a pretty strong moral backbone yeah. Yeah. to how he views things. Or like even there's a, there's a part where like he meets a, uh, a McGovern staffer of this, like this woman who like, who's putting all of her hopes on like this better future. And you just sort of hear like, Oh man, I really hope that this happens because I, I can't handle thinking about people like her. They're just going to have their hopes and dreams just crushed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's a human, I think that the, 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 you do have to have a morality. You do need to have like, even if you're getting like other Thompson is, stereotyped a lot because of like you know the which is true he is a he was a a a nutbag uh junkie who really 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 liked guns yeah Uh, like a lot like anytime where you see hunter s thompson know that there's a firearm somewhere nearby either on his person or in his car like there's a part of the hell's angels where he like has a cooler beer and like a gun in the car in case he has to shoot some hell's angels who yeah. might decide that they want to kill him at that moment because yeah. of the drop of the hat they just might decide to but you need to like believe in things yeah now to cap this off i would i do have uh speaking of believing in things i do have a bit of a bit of a thing to uh to end this with a particular liberal response that i saw among some individuals um on on twitter and i I'm not going to be very sympathetic to them okay, uh, because okay. I think I I think that this is a bad thing to do. I don't think that you should say slurs even if they're bad, even if it's like a bad person. Oh, I did see that. That was yeah. <laughs> I don't think even if as much I can say what I want about Clarence Thomas because I'm black. <laughs> I am. I have because God ordained that I I be bored with with uh with these particular features and melanated skin i'm able to like say the things i want to say about Cla- i could call clarence thomas a house negro as much as i want <laughs> i can oh call him Uncle ruckus i could call him uh, uh i could call him <laughs> a uh a, a various unkind things i could call him there's a lot that i'm able because of that now if you're if you look like you two for example you can't say that mm-hmm. yeah i'm not gonna say that nope not gonna say it now some people on Twitter did not get that memo. Uh, <laughs> now I will be nice, and I will not. I will not say her username. She says in, in response to, to, to this, uh, the ba- very reasonable uh, to be angry that Claire Thomas is eyeing other basic human rights that uh, are you know probably possibly going to be removed in this country in the next coming uh, coming months and years. However, her response to this was to tweet, doesn't the N-word realize his rights are next? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, that was... <laughs> Maybe don't do that. And then, her <laughs> respo- and then her response to the obvious critique that happened later when you say something like that was, well, the N-word gets people's attention. <laughs> Saying the N-word gets people's attention. Yeah, I wasn't paying attention. Oh, I, 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 I need to say this slur to get more people to agree with me. now the second one (sighs) i'm also not going to read the username because i am a nice individual uh i at least i i I believe so (laughs) 
This is completely unacceptable. If the blacks are going to vote for the racist, then maybe we shouldn't let them vote anymore. Sometimes <laughs> you have to do what's good for them, even if they don't understand why. Cool. Incredible. Yep. Amazing. Yep. Good stuff. Oh, the libs oh. are okay. The libs they're, are doing they're, great. They're doing the the great. libs are extremely normal. <laughs> they're, doing, they're doing real good right now. Uh, I, well, uh, I have a single... I have, if I have a, a single request that I can make to any liberal white woman that's watching the show because those are two liberal white women that were watching that that uh that that said those things whatever you think about saying that might that starts with either a slur or calling a particular uh group of people the blank <laughs> don't do it don't do it don't do it that's a bad idea don't do put, it put the phone down step put away from the phone, phone down walk outside oh. go go outside well, Take I think we should uh, we should probably close this out here with our you know final statement. You know, now is the time of monsters. It's time for imagination, uh, and also don't don't say slurs, <laughs> please. Yeah, can you not? Like you, you can. It is, idiot. It is more than po- I. It is more than possible to say like yeah no like these are very yeah. very bad people. But also not just start saying slurs. Yeah, I mean, you can. It, it's fine to hate Clarence Thomas. It's fine to say bad yeah, things I about do. Clarence Thomas. I do uh, all the time. as an individual, as a person. Like his, <laughs> his skin color has very little to do with <laughs> why he's bad. <laughs> uh, everybody, uh, everybody. If Clarence Thomas could be white, he would. Trust me, he would. He would. Uh, if, if, he, if Clarence Thomas could like, ch- like, could change his skin color to be white. Trust me, he would. He barely counts as a black person. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll end it on there, everybody. All right. Um, Well, let's just sign out and get out of here. Um, I have been Josiah Sutton. You can follow me at Josiah W. Sutton on Twitter.com. I haven't put out any Substack or Fruitless lately. Uh, I think I'm just going to restart Fruitless next month and just give up on trying to put out two episodes in the next five days. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't see that happening. Uh, And I have been joined by my my two lovely co-hosts. I've been joined by Jackal. Hello, everybody. I am uh, Jackal Jester on uh, Twitter.com. I'm yelling a lot about, um, well, look out your window. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> all of it um and then of course josh uh guest host for the summer yeah uh i'm josh uh gnome chamsky on twitter uh have odd splice in the works uh haven't Hell really yeah. worked on it recently but there's there's it'll again the back catalog and yeah. it will return at some point in the future but uh i am just trying to survive these days it's right. <laughs> kind of what we're all doing it seems yeah. um well i guess uh thanks everybody for listening and uh go go use your imagination <laughs> don't for the love of god if that imagination flirt includes flirts don't do it except for that i mean say what you want about the tenets of national socialism dude at least it's an ethos I did want to talk to you about something, and fuck it, I'll just come out and say it. Fascists are kind of cool, but not really, so is that like a problem, a thing? (sighs) Seriously, me, I just, I don't have a lot of boundaries. St. Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, Schumacher, I'll borrow from anyone. And, you know, 
If Franco or H or Travis Bickle had a good pitch, fuck it, I'm a man for all seasons. Mm-hmm. H. You know, there was a very naughty boy named H. I'm a fully-fledged, small-D Democrat. A well-regulated election is a transmission frequency for God's grace. Holy shit, you really are a Christian, aren't you? Well, no, no, no. My only thing is, like, who's the stakeholder, right? I've been tending, you know, my little garden for like a hundred years. And then, 40 new guys show up in the back of a truck, playing their boombox, and it's put to a vote, and they decide to uh, give my farm to them. I mean, what, so sorry, what happened? Maybe you have to put in, right, before you get to take out. Yeah, okay, well then, you know, who gets to, uh, who gets to join? Well, People trust people who look like them. That's just a scientific fact. They will get more tax dollars to help them. Hmm. Now, you could integrate new elements, of course, but come on, man. Slowly. I mean, fuck! I like this country. Yeah. Let's just take a beat before we fundamentally alter its composition. Yeah. And in terms of, you know, this... Here, there's a thing here. Right? Terrible. It's a bunch of, bunch of assholes, if you ask me. <laughs> Hunter Thompson is a moralist posing as an immoralist. Nixon is an immoralist disguised as a moralist. This is James Salter. There'll be thieves and autorecs in Aspen, whoever gets elected. But Hunter represents something wholly alien to the other candidates for sheriff. Ideas. And a sympathy towards the young, generous, grass-oriented society, which is making the only serious effort to face the technological nightmare we have created. The only thing against him is he's a visionary. He wants too pure a world.